0: This is a great series, and this is a church that is willing to talk about the things that we need to talk about. Um, I think adulting speaks to uh, the fact that life is not always easy. It's not. It, there, there are difficult things that we go through in life, um, but the beauty of this church and the heart of it is, is that we do it together. We're going we're gonna to do it together, and, and what's really cool is that um, I'm a part of the body of Christ even though this is not my home church, you have made me feel very at home. Uh, I told uh, everyone before that it, it's really weird to go to a church for the first time. You're, you're this visitor, and then they put you on stage. <laughs> and uh, this, is, this is not what I do. I have a day job. I, I do counseling. It's usually just me and the other person or a couple or a family. Um, so I, this is all I know how to do. So I'm not a, I'm not a big uh, speaker and stuff. Um, so we're just going to hang out. We're just going to talk about some cool things that, that I'm learning uh, and things that, that the Bible says. I get really insecure when I have to talk about my own thoughts because um, it's a scary place up there sometimes. But when I can talk about the thoughts of God, when I can talk about this, oh, man, I get so excited. Uh, I, I get so energized because God's word is good. Yeah. It's good. It's good. So I'm excited to to talk to you about it today. So let's start this conversation. Mental health is important for the church. Your church is, is a church that is responding to the calling for the church, for us, to lead the way in promoting mental health care. It's something that we don't talk about a lot. We didn't know how. I don't even know how. I've gone through so much school and read so many books but it's still hard to know exactly what mental health is and what mental illness is. So there's a lot of questions. And that's partly what we're saying today is there's still a lot we don't know, but we do know a lot of things. And where we first get some information is in the Bible. This is a a, a library of books. There's 66. And if you have ever read Genesis or heard the story, um, that's where we get our first picture of what mental health is, and not just mental health, but all health. If you look at that story of creation, you'll see that God created everything. He created everything, and he said that it was good. He said it was good, and you see this beautiful sequence. It's like poetry of how God did this, and when he gets to the sixth day and he creates human beings, he doesn't just speak and say, man, woman, But it's almost like he takes a time out and says, I really got to emphasize this one. And he bends down and he, as an artist, forms a man of the dust and the dirt. Beautiful. But the man was not alive until God breathed into him. The breath of God, the most powerful force, breathed into that man and he came to be a living being. And in that moment, I can't tell you where the mind starts and the heart and the the soul and the spirit, but all of those things, all of those things that were not in that mud are now a man. And that man was mentally healthy. God gave that man truth. God put him into relationship instantly with himself. The man knew his creator. God put that man in relationship with, ev- with everything that, that he had made. All those good things. He said, look, all these good things, these are for you. And then went a step further and gave him a woman to hang out with. This is a big deal. A big deal. I found a woman to marry me. So that a, that a big, that's a big moment in life. And Satan came against this beautiful picture of this perfect God making this perfect world and these people that didn't know sin. And he comes and doesn't attack this first part that he molded, the body, but he attacks the mind. Isn't that interesting? He goes and says, God said you can't eat from any of these trees. Man, he's depriving you of food. What are you supposed to eat? Now, I'm Peter Pignon paraphrasing. He's like, what are you supposed to eat around here? And Eve says, no, no, no. Hey, whoa, you're wrong, Satan. He didn't say we couldn't eat of any of the trees. He just said we can't eat of that one. It's like, oh, well, God knows. God knows that if you do eat of that tree, then you'll be like him. You'll be like God and you'll know good and evil. Now, if a snake ever talks to you, I want you to know that you need to go back to God and be like, hey, God, what, did you say? what was that thing you said about that tree? But, but Satan's strategy was to bring doubt. Hey, God's not good. He's taking care of you and giving you all these trees, innumerable trees. We don't know how many there were, but there were so many. And he made Eve feel deprived. And the Bible says that Adam was right next to her. God is not good. At the root of every deception that the enemy will ever throw you, it's that God is not good. Because it disconnects you from mentally. In that moment, it was just mentally. They had not sinned. It disconnected her and Adam mentally. And they said, wait a minute, God's not good? We can't even go clarify. We can't even go ask clarifying questions and say, God, hold on a second. Are you good? Are you good? Is, is there something good about that tree that we need to know, that we need to eat that so we can have it? There is a part of us inside of you that desires omniscience. That means knowing everything. We want to know everything. We want to know it. If you've ever hung out with a toddler, they want to know everything. Why? Why is that? Why, 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 why? I live in that. My, so, my oldest son is five, then he's Paxton. Pierce is three, Leela is two, and Pace is six months. I live in that. All I do is explain things. We have a desire to know everything. And, and Eve thought she didn't know everything. They sinned in this perfect world from these perfect people, it spread. It spread and now we had a perfect God and an imperfect world and and sinful people and things just got worse. Things got worse and worse and worse. If you read the rest of these pages it just talks about how things got worse and worse and worse and worse. And we've gotten even more confused about what mental health could look like. How to take care of our, our minds. But mental illness is real. The enemy is still attacking our minds. And in the church, we can't talk about people outside of these walls, but in the church, we have let that confusion get in the way of providing care. Not everybody needs therapy and treatment, but everybody needs care. We all need care. There may be different seasons of your life, but we all need care from the body of Christ. the statistics are clear and they're probably underselling what is actually happening. The statistics say that one in five experience mental illness in a year and in the world it's one in four. And the numbers are as high as half of people will experience a mental illness in their lifetime. It's real. And if you have a mental illness that you're struggling with, you're not alone. There are, there are, the numbers are saying, people aren't talking about it, but it's happening. It's out there. And this is a church that's willing to talk about it. I'm so grateful for that. I'd like to tell you a few things that I've learned about the mind. Four things in particular. Now, I, 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 have, I have a bachelor's, I have a master's degree, um, and these aren't the only things that I've learned. There are other things. But these are things that I think it'd be cool to talk about for a second. So, number one, our minds don't tell us what is true, but what we believe is true. Your mind is not omniscient. You believe what you tell yourself. When it pops up in your mind, you believe you. You don't think you would lie to you? Would you lie to yourself? Come on, you're trustworthy. Number two. Number two, our minds can take facts and come to false conclusions. You can take a fact. That's what's really tricky about the mind is is your mind will take something that actually happened, something that somebody actually said or something that somebody actually did, and then your mind will say, well, then that must mean this. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But let me get number three out there. So even false beliefs so you have these false beliefs facts with false conclusions false beliefs can trigger real emotion that's when the mind gets super confusing for us because we're over here having these false beliefs but they don't feel false it's real emotion. So number four comes and we see that false beliefs can feel true false beliefs can feel true the best way that I can explain this so I hope you never forget is to tell you a story. I got home a few weeks ago and like I said, I have four kids. I'm not in denial about that. They, 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 have not, they, they won't leave. They, they want to live there. I got home and, I, and I'm saying hi to my wife and I hear this loud scream. And those of you who, who have hung out with kids, you can learn their screams. And so I heard this loud, agonizing, painful scream and I know that it's my three-year-old Pierce. And instantly... I start going up the stairs. I'm, I'm running towards the stairs and I hear him say, give it back, give it back, give it back. And I, I said, Paxton, because I knew it was Paxton. Paxton's five. I'm like, I knew Paxton did something. He's the older brother. It's his job. I said, Paxton, whatever you took, give it back. And as I, I'm going up the stairs, I see Paxton and we lock eyes and he looks with fear. And then all of a sudden he looks with confidence and a coyness and says, I said, whatever you took from him, you give it back. And he looks at me and says, I didn't take anything from him. Well, I'm a counselor, so (laughs) I'm going to go investigate. I'm going to go interview this wounded person. So Pierce is at the top of the stairs, holding his arm, crying. I said, hold on, buddy. He's got these big cheeks with these giant tears just flowing out of his face. He said, buddy, you're going to have to breathe. Let's get some air. Slow down. What's happening? He said, Paxton took my strongness. Okay? (laughs) He said, we were playing Transformers, and Paxton hit me right here. And he took my strongness. He said, I took your strongness. And I look at Paxton over there. He's still waiting on the stairs. And he's just like, I didn't take anything. I don't think I took anything. I'm not sure. I don't think I, I, I didn't take anything. I just hit him. And then I said that so this is happening. And I said, and I look and I go back over here and I said, Pierce, Paxton. And I used a big word. This is not, I don't encourage this, but I just said, Paxton doesn't have the authority to take your strongness, buddy. you he hurt your arm. Backed. but he cannot take her strongness. False conclusion. said, you are the strongest Piercimo I know. I'm of Mexican heritage, but that's his Italian nickname. Everybody, everybody needs an Italian nickname. (laughs) Paxtonius Piercimo. Um, So I said, you're the strongest Piercimo I know. I said, and if you want to, you can transform. And he stops crying and looks at me like, maybe he does believe me a little bit. And then he goes back down and he's just like, but it hurts. And I said, (coughs) he looks at me, (coughs) I'm making a transformer sound for those of you that have not watched transformers. I'm not endorsing the movie. They haven't watched it. They don't know, but I've told them stories. And as I see him, it wells up inside of him. <laughs> I said, Is that Optimus Prime? And they continued to play. I had a conversation with Paxton about deception. Because, because here's the thing, I, I, I would never, I would never ever in a million years compare my son, Paxton, five-year-old, to Satan. <laughs> never. You will not find me doing that. But original sin is real. It's real. It's in all of us. We're all cosmically separated from our creator. And deceive and believe rhyme for a reason. Because if if Satan or anyone else can get you to believe something, they can get you to do something or not do something. Because the things that you believe that are not true, it's because of deception. It's a deception. God did not create our minds to be our source of truth. That's why a lot of people are arguing right now in our culture. Because they're saying, no, no, your, your mind knows truth. You know truth. No, no, no. Your mind was created to seek the truth. There's a part of you that wants the omniscience, that wants to know the all-knowing being. It's a homing device that just, its so. there's something more out there. There's more than what you can know in your mind. Your mind is not the source of truth. It's the manager of truth manages all these different things, all these different thoughts. And you're, because it, it, if, it, if it were, man, I, what would we do? I have some thoughts that I didn't, I didn't want them to be there. I'm just like, oh, there's a thought. I don't believe that. That's not true. That doesn't align with this. So a- after what happened in the garden happened, God sent his son, Jesus. And so now we have this perfect God sends his perfect son in this sinful world. And this perfect son dies for Everybody dies for everyone and he doesn't stay here which would have been a cool thing i don't know how he would have worked that out but he doesn't stay on this earth but he says i'm going to go so that i can send that spirit of truth to this sinful world so now you have this perfect god sending this perfect spirit of truth to not just like jesus living among the people but to live inside of So mental health is not about saying that your mind is the priority. It's just where all the battle is happening. Your mind wants truth. Your mind wants to know. That's okay. God loves your questions. We have to go to scripture though because this is the source of truth. So you're either going to get truth from the Holy Spirit or you're going to get it from scripture. That's where we get it. That's, That's our truth. So let's look at let's look at it. Let's look at Romans twelve, and I'm gonna read verses one through six. Now, the whole book of Romans is good, I recommend it. If you read all of the chapters before twelve, it's basically talking about what I just explained to you. The story of all that had happened. There was a creator, sin came in, did all this stuff, Jesus came, died, gave us access to God again. We're reconnected with God. And so when 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 here in, in verse One, it says, therefore, that's what it's saying. It's it's therefore, in light of all of that, in light of the story of humanity, since all of that has happened, we don't have to make sacrifices anymore like the Jewish people had to. They had to sacrifice a lamb or a dove or something, and that would get them into this right relationship with God. It's almost like paying a ticket. But it it became this automatic thing, you know? No one says, oh, I got a ticket, so now I'm never going to speed again. It's like, I'm going to be, be more careful and not get caught. That's what it became for the Jewish people. So, so Paul comes and writes this letter to the church in Rome. And he says this. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, looking at God's mercy, to offer your bodies, the first thing he made, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform, verse 2, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace, verse 3, given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, going back to that body analogy, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts. According to the grace given to each of us. Now, this is such a great church. I could just drop the mic. It'd take me a long time. But I could drop the mic and just say, we're done. Amen, pray, sing a song. It's good. But I don't want you to miss what's there. If you kept on reading, there's such good stuff there. But... The transformation process here follows the same structure of what's in Genesis. And we learn that transformation happens in the context of connection with God and his people. A lot of times we oversimplify the solution for mental health care and we're like, just renew your mind, renew your mind, renew your mind. You don't renew your mind by renewing your mind. Let me try to renew my mind. No, no, no. First, verse 1 talks about connecting with God. You're you're, you're reconnecting with God. It has to start there. We have to reconnect with God. And when you reconnect with God through worship, not just with song, but songs help. Music helps. But when you reconnect with God, it's allowing God to breathe in you again to feel that feeling that Adam felt when he came to life. Almost like a Disney moment of just like, there's a God who loves me. There's a God who created me. When you connect with God, the source of truth through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's the context. You can't just renew your mind. You got to reconnect to God first. Number two, you got to reject the pattern of this world. A lot of us don't even know what the pattern is. We don't even know how culture has influenced us. And we just, we're just we accepting so much. So you got to pray. you got to ask God, hey, help me to identify what are these patterns? What, what's going on here? Where is this stuff coming from? Because this culture will tell you all kinds of things. And it's very deceptive because, and that's why you might have grown up hearing, oh, the world this, the world that. Well, our world it has a bunch of ideas. People even in the church don't agree with stuff. What I love about Christianity is that we all agree that Jesus came, he lived, he died and rose again and went up to prepare a place for us. It's good. The gospel, we agree on the gospel. Argue about the other stuff. That's fine. You don't need anything else. Jesus loves you. You've got to reject the pattern of this world. All of those, acknowledge the facts, but, but those false beliefs. He'll walk with you. Okay, God, this did happen. This was said. This was not done for me. But that's not true. Number three, renew your mind and evaluate what God's will is. God's will is that you would love him with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Every part of you. And then that you would love your neighbor as you love yourself. What really gets in the way of that second one is thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. What verse three talks about. If you're thinking of yourself more highly than you ought, then you're—I'm better than this body. I'm better than this church. I'm better than this family. So I'm just going to leave. I'm better. I'm going to go look for a better body. Could a could an arm detach itself and go find a better body? No, it's a deception. That's what Satan got kicked out of heaven for. God, you know, I'm this beautiful angel. I'm better than you. I was like, hmm, interesting. Last time I checked, I created you. I'm the creator. Don't think of yourself more highly, but with sober judgment. So that means not, not higher, but not lower either. You are a child of God. You are a child of God, the living God, the creator. And if he can get you to doubt that God is good, well, if God was good, then why did he let that happen to you? Fact. God lets bad things happen. God is bad. God lets bad things happen. God can't be good. God is a good God. And you don't have to think of yourself more highly because you can just think about how high he is. You can think about him and how great he is. Verse 4 and 5 talk about that, that as the body of Christ, we all belong to each other. Some of you are here today because you came here and you felt belonging. Some of you is the first time. It was like getting this transplant. You're this arm, and you just get put. And you're like, I belong here. That's the body of Christ. That's what we want. Transformation, it can't just happen here. It has to flow out in the body of Christ. We need each other. We need each other because we belong to each other. And we have different gifts. But not because we deserved a gift, but because of his grace. We're all not gifted in the same way, and that's okay. This world, one of the patterns of this world is that, that you need to develop your strengths and hide your weaknesses. Don't let anybody see your weaknesses. Don't let anybody know that you have a mental illness. Don't anybody see that. But in the body of Christ, it says, oh yeah, you got weaknesses? Yep, we all do. We've all sinned. We've all sinned. We all fall short. Yeah, I sinned yesterday. I didn't want to, but something happened. I messed up. I'm not going to do it again. I have a plan. Talk to my pastor. Talk to somebody else. We're working on it. I don't want to live in sin. I want to stay away from sin, but I still mess up. I still lose it. I still deceive people. Like Paxton. Lord help We have to remain connected to the body of Christ. Satan's deception is to take you away from the body of Christ and away from the being of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let me tell you a story. It's mine. Don't, don't guess too much. 28 years ago, I lived in Midlothian, and I was five. I'm th- 33 now. Don't hurt yourselves. I was sexually abused, and if you've ever talked to someone or if you were abused in any way, you know that that, that changes your world, the way that you see things. Every, everything was rocked. I don't, I don't remember a lot of my childhood, so I can't tell you a lot about it, but I, I, do, I do know that that happened, and I felt shame. I, was, I, I remember just these faint memories of just hoping that my parents didn't find out what I had done fact, I was abused, false conclusion that it was my fault. That because I felt dirty, I was dirty, and it involved a male, so I was super confused about my gender identity. And I cried all the time, so people said, oh, Peter, you're, you're, you're a girl, you little girl. So it only reinforced that false conclusion of maybe there is a girl in here, maybe I am a girl, maybe I'm not a man, maybe I'm not a boy. cry baby, cry baby. On top of that, I have dyslexia, which is a learning disability. So I couldn't read like everybody else could. And in our culture, reading is king. That's a big deal. I don't know if you noticed. People say things like, what, are you stupid? Can't you read? So my conclusion was, I guess I am. I guess I am stupid. I can't read. I can't let anybody know what's happening. I gotta fake it. I gotta act like I can read. I gotta be really, really good at memorizing things. You saw. If I try to read, it's gonna mess with me. So, I didn't actually read the scripture. Sorry. I have to memorize it because I I can't. It's not as easy for me to read it. It's here just in case I messed up. Safety. But I felt anxiety and depression, and I de- developed these obsessive-compulsive behaviors as I was getting older. And I just it just kept on going and going and going. My parents loved me, my family loved me, but I'm I'm an introvert, and so it's like the culture, the message of the world was like, "Hey, extroverts are better than introverts." It's not true, by the way. We they're all beautiful. I love all the personalities. I wasn't good at sports, in, in my hood, my community. Sports were the best. You had to be good at sports. I mean, that's how you got attention. I was not even last picked. They would argue about which team was going to have to get me. Oh, you get Peter. We took Peter last time. <laughs> okay, so I wasn't good at sports. My parents were pastors, so if, if you've grown up around church, you know that a big thing in church is music, worship. I mean, it's, it should be. It's good. But I couldn't play anything. You're like, you can't play anything? What, you're not musically talented? You don't have any talent? You can't sing? I'm like, I can't even clap. <laughs> my friends told me that the best thing was as a 13-year-old to get a girlfriend. So I was trying to get a girlfriend, and no girls wanted me. Discouraging for a 13-year-old. So I looked at all these things that people were saying value could come from, and my conclusion was, that I deserved to die. I didn't deserve to live. So the thoughts were popping up so much about death and all of this stuff, and I was thinking I was ugly, I was dumb, I was rejected, and no one would ever love me. And my parents, they loved me, but it was because they had to. You know, just like that parent love, it wasn't real. Like they would never choose me, but this is just obligatory love. Again, the depression and anxiety gets you to believe all these kind of things. And Satan, too. He was cheering those things on. I got to the point where I knew I needed to do it. I just needed needed to, to end my life. The pain was too great. And in the midst of all the negativity, I'm sitting there in my room trying to figure out how to do this. And I heard these words, I love you. And it sliced the darkness. It sliced the fog in half. And I knew that it was the Holy Spirit because I'd grown up around church. I'm like, so people talk about him talking to you. I don't know. So I was like, no, you don't. I said it out loud. You're like, you were crazy. Yes, I was. I was very deceived. You love all those Christian people in church, but you don't love me. Look at all the things I've done. Look at all that's happened to me. Facts, 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 facts. Just showed them all that. I've sinned. I said, no, no, no. I, I love you, Peter. And I love you so much that I gave my life for you. And that if you give me one chance, I'll show you what I can do with a completely surrendered life, living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. said, you're thinking about ending your life now. Just give it to me. I want it. I said, with all of these weaknesses, I can't believe that you would even want this. Look at my track record. And I listed all of them. I did. And we took time and just listed all of them. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. That's 2 Corinthians twelve nine. if you want to look it up later. And it revolutionized my thinking. And I realized that giftedness is not about not having weaknesses. It's about giving God everything, all of you. God, take my strengths. I didn't think I had any. Still trying to figure that out. But I just thought I gave him this bowl of weakness. And I got saved. I was saved from sin and death and shame. And the transformation began in so many ways. But I didn't know how to change my beliefs. I came to uh, Christian University Broken and wounded and saved. I was so saved. I loved Jesus. I worshipped. I prayed. But I didn't know how to change my beliefs. I still had so many facts laced up with false conclusions. So many things that felt true. And And I did my best. And I thought if I could just do so much. Maybe I would feel differently and it never worked. I I, I got, I was a junior in college and I thought, man, if I could just learn about counseling, I was a counseling major, I'm a junior and I knew enough to know that I was depressed and I was anxious, but I couldn't tell anybody in my depressed and anxious thinking. I thought if I tell somebody that I'm a counseling major and I'm struggling with depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts, I'm going to get kicked out and I'm going to lose my calling and career and everything is going to be gone. I was a leader on the campus, an RA, a resident assistant. 35 guys were under me. I love them. I still do. I was a small group leader at my church. Nobody knew that I was struggling with depression and anxiety. And on top of that, the dorm that I lived in had a professional counseling center, three professional counselors waiting for me. To go in. And the Holy Spirit would say, just like He did when I got saved, He would say, Peter, go in there. There's hope for you. There's help for you. You're not too far gone. You can go in there. And I said, No, I can't. I can't. I'll be rejected. I'll be rejected and I'll lose everything. And I know that you've called me to do something. I just, need, I just need to keep reading. I just need to keep reading these self-help things. And self-help is a deception. Because God will never empower you to do what he and the body of Christ were meant to do. Self-help is an idea of the world. To, to somehow circumvent, go around the body of Christ. If God wants to care from you, he's going to do it through his being and the body of Christ. So I decided that I was going to kill myself and I, the, the thing that messed with me the most, that hurt me the most about dying was that my parents and my sisters would not know that I loved them. So I went and told my sister, she lived in Waxahachie, and I said, hey Heidi, I love you. Tell everybody that I love them. Thank you for loving me so well. I'm so grateful for you. Goodbye. And I walked away. She chased me out on the sidewalk. I'm leaving. And she said, Peter, wait. What's going on? Where are you going? I said, I'm leaving. I can't take it anymore. And she said, Peter, are you thinking about hurting yourself? And I just looked at her with stone. She said, Peter, Satan is trying to kill you. He's trying to use you to do it. God has a plan for your life. There is a calling on your life. You don't have to believe the things in your mind anymore. And just like I retorted to Christ and the Holy Spirit at 13, at 20, I retort to her. I said, but they feel true. Anger popped up in me. And she said, but that doesn't make them true. And she just listened to me. We wept then. We went and got Chinese food, wept then. And she, the, one of the things she told me, she said, Peter, you need professional help. That was the thing that hurt. Everything else was good. So it's like if I had to give her a critique, I'd say, please don't say that last line. You need professional help. That hurt me. I was like, you're saying I'm too far gone. I need, I need, are you saying I'm crazy? And, and the reality was that she was saying, you know, you have weaknesses, you're wounded there's so much that's happened in your life and over those years from 20 to 33 god has taken me on this journey and i've opened up to the body of christ and and i've had christian counselors walk with me to help me through my depression anxiety obsessive compulsive issues my post-traumatic stress issues that i've had i'm walking through that i'm going through an intensive treatment plan right now and and you might say whoa you're a counselor. Why are you? What are you? What? Like, how do you do that? Well, it's not about knowing something. I know stuff, but it's about knowing someone. When you know him, and, and when that Jesus puts you in contact with certain people of the body of Christ, and that's the beauty of Christian counseling, is that when I'm with my counselor and he's talking to me, he's speaking with the authority of Christ to me. Yeah. Yeah. Woo! Is good. He says, Peter, you're not stupid. I'm like, are you sure? I'm going to preach on Sunday and everybody's going to look at me and think I am. Like, No, you're God's son. You're God's son. He loves you. He delights in you. I don't know where you are in your journey. And I'm not necessarily promoting mental health care in the sense of counseling. I'm just saying, we're all going to go through things. You might not need treatment, but you do need transformation. And I just would say, when you do find yourself needing treatment, would you consider it? Would you pray about it? Would you get help? Don't wait to get to those points. Now, I'm telling you, I'm still walking my journey. Things are not perfect. I've still had suicidal thoughts since then. But I know what to do with them. And I, there's ten people I call when I have them. Ten people that I, 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 re, I call out to my people. People. I'm like, I don't want to kill myself. I never will. I won't. I'll have to go through so many layers of the body of Christ before I get there. And it won't happen. Because they'll feed me Chinese food. (laughs) Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for my friends. Thank you for my, my, my brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord. I pray that right now they would be compelled and know that they are loved by you. You love them. And no matter what sin they've committed, no matter what has happened in the past to them or that they've done, you are bringing healing to their hearts and minds. Lord, those that need treatment, help them be open to whatever you have. Help us not give in to the deception that we can go without mental health care just by doing something simple. Help us to submit to whatever you have. Heal us from our traumas. Help us with our depressed and anxious thinking. Help us know, Lord, that we are loved, we are valuable 100%, and there's hope for us. In Jesus' name I pray.